Hello and welcome to Lounge Ruminator. I'm your host, Martin Feld. Great to have you on this week. Today is a very special episode. It's a bit of an experiment of uh, online friends from the site micro.blog. So I'm joined by the fantastic Andrew Canyon and also equally fantastic Jason Burke. How are you both today? Excellent. Really good. This is Andrew and um, this is so cool. It's something we've been trying to get together for quite some time and we're actually here. We're defying all the international timeline challenges, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. And the time could not be more perfect at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. I'm really grateful that you got up and I felt bad because I was causing difficulties before we even got here. And look, just to give some context for listeners at home, uh, Andrew, Jason and I, we all met on micro.blog, which is a fantastic, um, how would you sort of put it? It's sort of a social networking blog, uh, microblogging site. Um, and it, it's sort of what, an alternative to Twitter, would you say these days? Yeah, it's it's almost an alternative to Twitter and um, WordPress and Facebook and Instagram even. And you can host a podcast there. It, it does a bit of everything. Jason, you, you're pretty... You, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's it's it used to only be what I thought was a alternative to Twitter, but over time things just keep getting added, and it's becoming kind of a central. I mean, I hate to say it, but almost an AOL <laughs> where you kind mm. of are starting to get a lot of different things in one place, which generally is scary because you start getting too many things and it just gets overwhelming. But so far, everything has seemed to work out with with micro.blog in terms of what it's able to do and what it's able to offer. It's not for everyone yet. I still think that it's uh, it takes a special kind of uh, person to to jump in and, and be able to take on some of the, the difficulties and challenges with something like micro.blog. But overall, I, I could not be happier with with what it's brought to me personally um like you were just saying how we we met through that service which sounds weird still to say but um, <laughs> um well i just I, I can just say that jason when i first joined up i don't know if you remember this but you posted me in snail mail like some micro.blog stickers and it was just amazing i was like what on earth this is amazing what a friendly what a friendly place and i stand by the fact that it is the friendliest place on the internet and you keep waiting for like, yeah, this is just a facade, you know, because surely the internet's a horrible cesspit. We all know that. When's the, when are the, the real people going to show up? But no, it's just nice. Yeah. And you're right about it being friendly because ultimately it's what has led to this today. So for the listeners at home, a bit of context here, we've been chatting together for some time on micro.blog and it really is friendly it it is free of i suppose likes follow accounts and so on and so it really breeds this environment of well if you want to interact with people you have to respond to them andrew and jason you two really are, are people who've been very active and very kind in responding to me so i suppose this is really the audio experiment version for that you know that extended communication yeah i, re I really appreciate the fact that it's not just click a button. I, at first it was a little off-putting like, oh, I got to do all this work of typing words. Oh gosh. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it it really, if you care, you will write something uh, versus just clicking something. Because, you know, clicking a thumb or a star or whatever doesn't really mean anything. Um, but if even if you just write two words back to somebody, the amount that that person gets from that is just 
exponentially higher. I agree. It's yeah, it's 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 really great, and the the people behind it really care. Like it, it's a small business essentially, owned and operated by a guy who I think got sick of the the social media world as it was, and is really passionate about it and is working hard. So, and of course, you have to pay. There is a free element that you can feed into it, but to get all the hosting stuff, you do have to give money. And I think as soon as money changes hands, it changes the um, the premise. And your intent on why you're there. I mean, if you can just put in a name and a crappy password and now you have an account, what's your commitment to that? Whereas if you're putting three, four, five dollars on the line, that means you're actually there on purpose. Yeah, uh, you're not so much the product, you are actually using a product that you intend to pay for. And I mean, and there are questions about access and stuff and whether it maybe discourages people from signing up. But really, I mean, regardless, it leads to an environment where, as you say, there's an intention to actually interact with people, not just give up likes and, you know, button presses that lead to data just somewhere for someone else. That's what sort of brought us together. And I suppose, I mean, Andrew, I've had you on this show before and we discussed a lot about uh, I think you called it your potted computing history and that was a lot of fun so what, yeah, I mean, that's right. what would you both like to sort of kick off discussing today I mean it's that general interest that we share in technology that's brought us here I suppose I think I think it has yeah I remember um, on, on our podcast we talked all sorts of um, computer stuff and then I think uh, Jason you chimed in um, on micro.blog we were talking about it and we thought well, we've, we've all got this same interest and background and we're really all a bunch of Mac nerds at, at the heart of it all, aren't we? And so what the world needs, what the world needs is another podcast with three dudes talking about computers. I don't think there is one. I mean, it's really, uh, this must be really unique. I can't think of any tech podcasts that have three white males talking about computers. I don't think it exists. No, no, no. no. It's unique. Yeah. New ground. We're cutting new ground. <laughs> we could talk about Windows uh, somehow. Oh, God. Oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know where I would do that, but we, we could try. I felt a bit ill then, go, but if you really want to, I have to go get my I have to go get my tie. <laughs> put my shirt and tie on. We can talk windows. Oh man, no, let's not do that. I think I want to ask about because the first thing I'm on the list here is BOS. I really got to find out about other people. Did other people you guys actually know about BOS? That was mentioned in the podcast with Martin. I still have the book that's probably about five inches thick. And uh-huh. the CDs with BOS, whatever version on it. And wow. I tried so hard. I mean, who knows? This was years and years and years ago. I tried so hard to make that my operating system. Uh, this was back when I used Windows, way, way, way back in the day when there really wasn't anything else. Um, I mean, yes, there's Linux. There's always been Linux. But BOS was like, it's. I guess it was what Mac OS, I, in my head, what I thought computers should be. This was before I was on macOS. So BOS was like, oh, this is, it's beautiful. It's well, it's well laid out. Everything about it just is, it, it's enjoyable to use. Um, and it never went anywhere. So <laughs> fortunately I found macOS and, and everything was good from there on out. But, oh God, I wanted that to work so bad. It, it reminds me absolutely of uh, WebOS, which was from Palm. I was a diehard webOS fan user. I made I that was the first app I ever wrote was for webOS. I truly thought like this is the future. Apps that are written in web code, everything's web. Oh, it's so exciting. And honestly, the hardware, awesome. Everything about it was great. The the software I thought was fantastic as well. Uh, but again, just 
I don't know, wrong place, wrong time or what, but it kind of was BOS all over again. So for people who are listening who have no familiarity with either of those, what were the things about BOS and WebOS at the time that were so different or that motivated you or made you think this is the future? Uh, the the inter- I mean, mostly user interface. I don't think at the time anyone really knew or cared about what was under the hood. I mean, kind of like today, I don't think anybody truly cares well, I mean, some people do, but you know, how much memory you have or, or what hard drive, who cares, right? It's like, what am I actually interacting with as a person? What am I touching? And BOS, it, it was from the installation to the startup to just the interaction with the UI, it felt like you weren't using a computer in the traditional sense of a you know big iron computer of sitting at the command line and banging away at the keyboard. It was more of a enjoyable experience of getting things accomplished. And the same for WebOS, where everything was very whimsical and fun, and you wanted to use it. You know, this was well before, you know, everybody was addicted to cell phones, and and we can't put them down now. This was all still very new, so it it made you want to pick it up and interact with it, Um, even down to things like the hardware, where you would. This was when it wireless charging back before that was even really a thing, and it would just magnet nicely to the dock, and it just everything felt so good compared to what was out there. You know, using a Palm Trio, which was weighed four pounds and had a giant keyboard on it and a stylus with a pen you had to jab at the screen. This was just nice and fluid. Wow. I don't think we ever really got the WebOS over here in Australia very much. I remember reading about it a little bit, but I don't know if it ever even really made it to market over over here. Probably not. I mean, as most things come out of Silicon Valley and they're very popular there, and then it remains to be seen if they make it anywhere else. Yeah, it's funny. Some things take off earlier in Australia through experimentation. Like I think Australia and New Zealand, uh, we have the claim to fame for McCafe. So Australians are very (laughs) quick to jump on McDonald's coffee, but um, no, we don't get the cool operating systems. That's unfortunate. But you guys get the first iPhones too, I think, right? Isn't it the very first one usually opens there, I think? Yeah, I think it might be New Zealand. Does New Zealand get it first? Because um, they're a little bit further away than we are. Yeah, I think they just beat us. That's right. I mean, Australia and New Zealand, when we're, we're sort of early adopters with some things. I think we've reached, what, 99% Apple Pay penetration because we have lower bank competition and there are wow. just tap. Well, because basically there are four big banks in Australia. They shall not be named because they just went through a royal commission. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, that just meant that they rolled out wireless payment terminals everywhere. So they just flick a switch and essentially... Apple pays everywhere. So we might have missed out on earlier things, but there are some things that make us a tech utopia, I suppose. Is that right, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, like literally I haven't used cash. I mean, especially with COVID now, you know, people sort of look at cash as, a, as you don't use that because it's dirty. Hmm. Um, but really, I, I had a $20 note sitting in my wallet for probably two months. It was tap and go with everything. Um, you know, I bought a coffee today. You, know, you buy a coffee, tap and go, buy parking ticket from a parking meter tap and go it's all it's everywhere yeah it's sort of jarring to not have it i think i've been using apple pay for what uh, consistently for five years and like you i have a 20 dollar note occasionally in my wallet and it's exclusively for haircuts because where i go they won't accept a card payment and it's just this every four weeks i know that i'm going to have to pull something grimy rectangle out of my wallet apple pay is one of the most over well not overlooked but just i guess assumed to be there so it's not exciting but that service has that is actually a a, a life changing 
service, if you ask me. I mean, it's very basic. It's very maybe it's just not exciting, but wow, when when Apple Pay happens, I will specifically search out places to use Apple Pay. I will shop at other places because of Apple Pay. And that is just huge. That you could never wow. say that about a uh, you know, every every company has their own little uh, you know, card for loyalty and all that. I would never switch stores because their loyalty card was better. But if they don't have Apple Pay and their competitor does, I'm gone. That is just, wow. it's so much better, especially with now with tied to the Apple card too. It's like 3% back for Apple stuff to, you know, all the, whatever it has. It's just so simple. And I think it got a lot of flack when it came out like, oh, Apple's doing a credit card. They should be making better computer, whatever. I, I personally have found it to be absolutely delightful to use that combination. I mean, that that's the irony though, is that we have all this infrastructure and um, we've got the Apple Pay, but we don't actually have the Apple branded credit card. Mm. So everything we have, it links back to our national, the, the banks we have in Australia, but we don't have an option to get the Apple product, the Apple card. Do you so. use Apple Pay online too or just yep. at like terminals? Yes. Online. Yeah, online as well. I totally understand Jason's uh, standpoint about going to places that support Apple Pay because I actually switched banks when it came out to get Apple Pay. I, I mean, I I, ban- I jumped ship to, to get onto it, so I'm totally on board with that. I would have if I had to. Luckily, I, was, I happened to be with the right bank when they launched it. Which is crazy, right? Like, when has there ever been something that made you want to switch banks? Or when has anyone ever cared about what bank they had? This is has to be the first time that that's ever been the case. <laughs> it's a really good point. Yeah, it shows how transformative it has been and just how, um, I mean, a, a really successful technology um, affects your behavior and, and, and the way that you sort of live your every day. So I, I, I totally agree with you there. The last thing they ever had as a bank was, you know, when everybody switched to quote unquote free checking, which, you know, just saying the word check feels horrific at this point. So this is, this is a pretty big deal. <laughs> checking. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's going back in time. That is a, that is a long and distant past. <laughs> Thankfully. I remember having to learn how to write checks in high school or whatever it was. It was like, this is how you write it down. You have to write the number in. I was like, what? <laughs> now, sorry, I sort of der- derailed us there with uh, with Apple Pay, but I'm glad that we have two huge Apple Pay advocates on here. <laughs> but um, I suppose steering back, if you want to, back to the sort of uh, OS discussion, because we were talking about BOS and WebOS. For both of you, how did that sort of steer into macOS eventually? For me, macOS, the very, I guess my first, I'm trying to think back to exactly when it actually happened. But I do fondly remember going into, I don't know, XYZ computer store, whatever it was called back then, and seeing the titanium power book next to the sea of other Windows laptops that were 17 inches thick and disgusting. And seeing this titanium power book and seeing the price of it also in comparison back then was like, okay, why is it so much? What does it do? Surely it must do something amazing for that price. And just seeing it and you know having the 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 hinge open perfectly and the trackpad and the keyboard felt amazing, that sold me. So it was it was hardware first, which makes sense because you're gonna see it before you use it. Um, and then using it at first, I mean, honestly, it was like, what is this? This is is this like it looked like candy, right? Which was a good thing because it brought you in. 
so that that led me down to thinking, well, this is kind of BOSE in a way. I mean, what is this? And then as soon as I started using that in the store, it was like, oh, well, this is over with. My if if only I had known how much my life would change and how much I would spend on Apple products going forward <laughs> throughout my life. Uh, I, I, I probably should have stopped and never looked at it, but you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. You should have bought the stock and not the computer. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah, for sure. But it's a terrifying figure, isn't it? I mean, and now I hate to think how much of a bill this is racking up now that we've got, you know, uh, monthly subscriptions to what Apple Music, iCloud, whatever you happen to subscribe to. So it's beyond the the hardware now and it's just all manner of charges constantly flying out. I would love a clock on my wall with just a running total. I think that would be great. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the scary thing is I'm, I'm a YNAB fanatic, so I could probably actually look it up. I could probably do a search and quickly tell you how much I've sp- paid to Apple, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I refuse. But it, it is like lock-in. But And I look around sometimes I think, is this still the right thing for me? Should I, you know, is Apple Music still what I should be using? Or sh- maybe I ditch it all together or I go to Spotify and every time I do that, I still come back and say, nah, the, even if it's a little bit more expensive, I don't feel like I'm being compelled to be locked in. I feel like I'm still being locked in by choice. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think the whole lock-in discussion, I find it somewhat infuriating. Um, I don't know. It's probably super controversial, but I'm going to go there anyway. It's it's a choice. You know, it's not Apple, as of today, whatever day we're recording, Apple doesn't run the world. You know, it's not a state-sponsored OS that you must use. It seems like there's a new issue every day of uh, people being locked into this or that or the other thing. But at the end of the day, you're you're not really locked in. There's I could get rid of all of my Apple stuff today and switch to pick another thing, and that's fine. I could go get a um, <laughs> wow, how embarrassing! I forget what they're called. What's the micro the Surface? I could go get a Surface. I could get a, you know, pick a phone that you want and I could do basically all the same stuff with just different applications. So there's really, it's not as if my, you know, my contact list is not in Apple format. And if I try to leave, they will delete all my contacts. No, that's not how it is. I, I think I'm probably oversimplifying things quite a bit. And obviously I'm on the wrong side of the argument, judging by what's in front of me right now. But I just I don't see there being a major issue at this point. And I know there are many people, and I apologize, Martin, for all the feedback you're going to get on this, that disagree with that. But I just I I am not finding a a super persuasive argument as to this lock in at this point. I think it is a choice. Am I locked in? Yes. Do I want to be at this point? Yes, I do. Are things quote more expensive? I don't think so because I think you can't just equate a dollar to the actual product itself. You have to, like most things, I don't think people value their time enough. They don't assign a dollar value to their time. And that's one of the biggest problems with with a lot of areas. So when I buy a laptop for X, you know, say it's $3,000 and it's like, well, I could have got a Windows laptop for 400. Yes, that's absolutely true. And if that works for you, that's great. But for me personally, that extra few dollars, whatever it is, the the things that I can get done with that hardware and software, I enjoy it more. I get it done quicker. 
And at the end of the day, I'm not chasing down stupid bugs and issues with things that don't work because, you know, and another thing that it's, it just works for me. Maybe I'm a rare unicorn in the Mac world, but things generally always work for me when it comes to Mac and iOS. I, I, I think a lot of the issues people have get amplified crazily out of proportion, but for me, things just work. I don't know about you guys, but that's my impression. Look, I mean, I, I, I agree pr- with pretty much uh, everything that you said, Jason. I think that term lock-in, I mean, it is a sort of uh, dramatic or emotive term. People are locked in in the sense that uh, maybe they have a certain fandom or there's an attachment to the computer and they feel like if they leave, they're missing out on something. But I like that sort of term that you used where it's not like a, I think you said state-sponsored or run OS. Yeah, yeah. It's it, There is no, there's no implied force that this is your only option. Yeah, exactly. So really, I mean, I'm using this platform because I really enjoy it. It sounds like it's the same for both of you. I mean, sure, if I were to move somewhere else, I would feel probably a bit antsy or uncomfortable and I'd I'd missed out on things and maybe some things wouldn't transfer over in the same way. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it is a bit of a cliche, but I do feel that it just works. I turn things on, they're speedy. I never have any issues. I've never had anything in the way of you know, malware or viruses, although of course it is possible to get it on any computing platform. I've never had to rebuild anything or had any massive data loss. And I've been using Macs since I was a kid, nonstop. Um, Exposure to the Windows world, of course, and, you know, uh, obviously stuff like Android with smartphones, you always got to keep an eye on what's out there. But, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of finding the device that works for you and, if it gels with your workflow or your process, just be happy with it. It's when you start to see anti-fandom or hate, mm. hatred for certain interests that I think it gets a bit rabid. Uh, you know, we can be critical, we can look for alternatives, we can be analytical and sort of uh, make sure that we criticize what companies like Apple are doing. But if you enjoy it, I think go for it. Absolutely. And it's your perspective as well, right? I mean, I'm a nerd. i dabble in everything do i would i call myself a you know a developer no i wouldn't if i was a developer i may have some different opinions on the way things are working right now uh you know when you look at how apps are distributed on let's say the iphone where it's you know i want to be able to sideload i personally don't you know i've done the whole android thing of sideloading and all that for me it doesn't matter for some it might but that's why there's choices if that's very important to you there are options for you. Again, the iPhone is not the only phone. For me, I think the big thing is that it is a it's in a it's a choice. I have chosen to be here, and at any time I can leave. Do I have a massive commitment to this brand now? Yeah, I've put a ton of money and a ton of time into it. But that all that being said, I still can leave if I want to. I was going to say that probably if you boiled it all down. There's about th- there's three basic things that keep me on the Mac. Really, if there was, I mean, there's lots of things I like about it, but these are the three things. If you said take these away, maybe it would be Quick Look. Love it. I use Quick Look. You know, you hit the tap the space bar and a big preview of the thing comes up. Windows does not have that, and I don't know how people can live without that. Um, you know, in terms of just quickly checking, is this the right thing? Is it not the right thing? Live with that thing. Launch bar, where you command space and you can navigate folders, directories and things to get somewhere quickly. Again, nothing like that that I know of on Windows. And you use that and people look over your shoulder and they think you're just a magician. That's how I get around my computer. So 
I need that. Otherwise, I'm sort of very much hamstrung. And the third one is I can't deal with the stupid janky touchpad things that they put on Windows machines. I don't know what it is about what how they build PCs, but they have never come close to the um, the touchpad experience that Macs have. And they're usually terrible, unresponsive. They click when you don't want to click them. Those are three things that I are like totally non-negotiable. <laughs> the, the trackpad's a good one. That's like it's kind of like the Apple Pay thing where it's there and people. It's just you know it's not really an exciting feature. But oh my gosh, this there's never their trackpads are just they nail it every single time. I've used other trackpads. I've used them all. The Surface ones are okay, but yeah, the the MacBook trackpad is is in a true truly in a league of its own it's it's the fact that something can be designed to feel so natural it's something that you no longer think about and then when you are confronted with something that is clunky or janky like you said uh it suddenly removes that illusion of using the computer like it's an extension of your hands yep it's so forgiving too where you don't have to think about how you're using it you know you can have three four five fingers on there it doesn't matter because when you go to do the two finger th- it just it somehow it just works which i'm now back to the it just works thing again but yeah. it does i don't have false clicks i don't it, i don't i'm amazed at their trackpads and that's why i'll pay hundreds of dollars more for a mac computer because that's that's my frustration that i'm going to be dealing with every day if that thing doesn't work nicely because I, you know, I tried to sp- save three hundred dollars on a purchase price. Not worth it. Not worth it at all. Andrew, you mentioned LaunchBar. What, Martin? Do you use? I mean, I'm sure you do. Of some kind of launchy type thing. Which one do you use? Actually, uh, I'm I'm very boring. I've uh, I, I stick to default Spotlight. I don't know if that's sacrilege, but um, I, I've always just stuck with that. No, I've I fully, it, it used to not be great, but nowadays it does everything you really need to do i I go back and forth as well but um yeah that one it's built right in i think it's because of my work particularly i I deal with a lot of different clients so i'm in and out of client files and i think i just i i think about them by that so i quickly search by the client but then i'll need to traverse because i'm I'm like a bit of a directory builder so i'll traverse their directories you know after i search just with my arrow keys and then find the file that i'm interested in maybe quick look at, <laughs> maybe open it. Um, yeah, it's all just done with the keyboard. So I don't, Spotlight I'll use occasionally, but I'm always a little bit underwhelmed by it. So you find that using LaunchBar for search throughout your system just gives you some more granular search terms or abilities? Is, is yeah. It okay. Yeah, because you can, then you can search for it, but then you can act on it. So you can either drill into it or show me more details. Or if I'm looking up somebody in my address book and I just want to see their phone number, you can find them with launch bar, an arrow across and showing me their their phone number. Now, I know Spotlight can probably do all that, but I guess it's just so ingrained in me in the launch bar way now after all these years. It's just that's the way that I think. And every and again, Spotlight can do this, but every application I load is basically, you know, a quick couple of keys and load Safari or load MailMate or whatever it might be. Um, and all my searching is done, my, you know, if I start a, a DuckDuckGo search or a Google search. It's a quick um, tap, tap, a shortcut for, you know, GO for Google or DD for DuckDuckGo. And then you type your search term into the launch bar itself and then push enter and it opens a browser window and does it. It's funny how you mentioned looking like a magician um, because it it really does feel that way. I've 
mostly at work, I would notice things like this at, at different jobs where I've, I've always been that guy with the Mac, you know, or it's just always that way. But you would, you know, you're in a meeting, you're connected to a projector. So everybody's seeing what you're doing. And it's the two worlds of the person with the Windows laptop uh, is if they can even get connected to the projector properly. They're fiddling around with Windows, trying to get things, you know, oh, press Alt F7 Windows key nine, and then it'll switch (laughs) desktops or whatever. It's like, okay. And I'll never remember, I'll, I'll never remember, I'll never forget some presentation I was doing at some point, it was everybody that was there was, was pretty, pretty high up there. Uh, and I go up and I plug in my MacBook and launch keynote and off I'm going. And about two minutes in, I hear a, okay, stop, stop, stop. And immediately I'm like, Oh dear. (laughs) Like what? This is supposed to just be everything's good. I've heard, you know, slides are good. Everything's great. And it's, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but they said, what the hell did you just do? I was like, what the hell? I'm going to need a little more information than that. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure what I've done wrong here. And he's like, you just plugged in your laptop and it just worked. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that's. And I'm, I'm in my head. I'm just like, what? Why is he? What does he? What does he want out of this? Like, is this <laughs> is this just bad humor on his part, or what, what is? I don't. What? Yeah. What's the end goal here? Like, do I leave without a job? What's going on here? And he immediately turns over to one of the IT folks, and he's like, "Why don't we all have that?" And I was like, "Oh God, this is not good," because now <laughs> IT's looking at me like, "Yeah, thanks." Now everyone <laughs> has to have, yeah, everyone that's in in you know C level has to have a MacBook. It was just like it was one of those things where I take it for granted. I just plug in my thing and it works. That's how it's supposed to go. But yeah, anyway, with the the magic thing, it just it it felt like one of those moments. Like, how did he get the projector to work? Oh my gosh! And then you you do something like a launch bar. Sounds like a very successful presentation. Yeah, that was. I should have just shut it down right there and left. <laughs> Close the deal. <laughs> We're done. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you call a Mac drop rather than a Mac drop? <laughs> so that's really bad. <laughs> I think it might be. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have to give him my laptop. That was my next worry. Oh God! But honestly, I don't know what Andrew's feeling is on this, but I totally relate to what you're saying about being in inverted commas the Mac guy at work. Um, you just sort of through some sort of very gentle uh, vibe or suggestion or tone in your voice, you just sort of ooze this Macness. And whenever there happens to be a Windows issue, I can't help but characterize it as a Windows issue. Like if someone says, "Oh, I've got a problem here. What can you help?" and I just sort of go, "Oh, this appears to be a." dot 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 windows issue and i can't help but just sort of highlight that it's an issue that is not with the mac and i'm like god you can't stop yourself can you (laughs) yeah at my last job i was at there was a a few of us and we started uh tracking the time that it took from meetings to get started because of quote-unquote windows issues and it was it was a very significant amount of time it was like see the money you're saving on those laptops look where it's going it's going into people sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting it sounds like we can sort of all revel in our uh, quantified smugness. Is that a good way to put it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds horrible saying it. I'm never going to listen to this back, but it's true. <laughs> I can always cut it if you want, or maybe not. Who knows? Um, but look, on the topic of it just works, thinking about WWDC this year, and for anyone who uh, doesn't 
follow the Worldwide Developers Conference or all of Apple's keynotes as keenly as we obviously do. Everything went online this year because of the COVID-19 situation, which is dreadful in itself. But all in all, Apple's pre-recorded keynote format was a total hit, really, really swish, really, really professionally done, of course. I mean, what what were you, what, what did you two think of it? What were your impressions? And do you follow up and install things like uh, betas or betas? Now, Jason, you, you're like right around the corner, aren't you? We should just you know help people out in terms of geolocating. Yeah, you're 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 right near Apple. I used to be actually, not anymore. Uh, I just we just moved actually out of the state. But yeah, we were we when WWDC was in San Jose, it was about three minutes from our house. So yeah, we were right there. But now we're up in uh, we're in Portland, Oregon now. So we're not as close. But given right. COVID, we wouldn't be close anyway. <laughs> But I, I think from an event standpoint, I could not be happier with the way it went. I I much, much prefer the tight, well-edited video versus live. Because for me, I, I just, I don't think you gain, you gain nothing from live. If you have the ability to do it pre-recorded, do it. Because as everyone knows, every demo, there's going to be an issue. Something's going to happen. And especially with the terrible trashy news cycles that we have now you can have the most amazing announcement ever and you could do a typo in the demo and immediately the only thing people are talking about is a typo and it's like especially if it's if it's an apple related thing it just gets amplified because everybody gets clicks and all of that but anyway back to the the actual event i thought the event was amazing i thought they pulled it off really well especially given the time frame that they had you know these things are not planned in a week and i'm sure this has been the second one ends i'm sure planning for the next one begins so having something like a worldwide pandemic thrown into the mix they they pulled it off and i think that's they they deserve a lot of credit for being able especially their events team to be able to pull off something from a live event with thousands of people and physical stuff to all online delivering the same messaging and from what i could tell it seemed like interactivity was still pretty good all things considered i think that's sort of almost the unsung superpower of apple is how they can coordinate all these other bits and pieces that aren't directly related to making and selling computers like how do you, how do you do the logistics of you know, first of all, how do you do logistics of a WWDC and make that happen? And then how do you go, now nah, scratch that, we're going to take it all online and we're going to make it absolutely schmick and, you know, it's going to look amazing, going to be high quality. I, I mean, just managing people to get that to happen is an incredible feat and I don't know how they manage it. More power to them. It's all those unsung people that never get stage time make that stuff happen definitely amazing and i I think a lot of times people just say well they have all this money they can do whatever and it's like that's not the point all the money in the world does not make something like this happen yep yeah and, and i think the the real thing about wwdc this year pandemic topics aside um it's really sort of shows maybe a realization or a shift in view about who the audience actually is, because naturally, I mean, developers, that's that's the term that's in the name of the entire event. It's really traditionally been 
angled towards developers because it's about new software developments, APIs, coding stuff that's way beyond my understanding. But given that Apple has such enormous brand power now and a global audience, you know, it's that worldwide point that really sticks out in the name now. Really, the pre-recorded format now makes it more accessible for people watching at home and much, much tighter, as you said. So perhaps it's an understanding that the event itself has changed. I think one indicator of that too is when they started doing public betas to, to back to mm. where you brought up the betas, right? Because th- historically it's always been developer betas and you know idiots like me would get an account anyway so I could install the developer betas on day one <laughs> and then not have a phone that works. But the fact that there are <laughs> public betas now i think speaks a lot to the the point of that event and i I think you're right it is a lot more of a i think advertisement is the wrong word but a way to get people kind of pre-excited which is i think something that has to happen now where it used to just be you would know there was a new iphone coming in september and that was enough but now in our culture today you kind of keep needing those little nudges more regularly instead of just one big nudge. So I think this is just yet another way to say, hey, here comes some cool stuff and and maybe it matters to you and maybe it doesn't. Obviously, all the API stuff, normal people don't care about, but maybe something like the messages, you know, track back or tap backs and all that, they may, that might be something that makes somebody think, hey, maybe I will upgrade my phone this year, even though I didn't last year. I just want to ask you a question as well, Martin. Um, and I, I'm curious, well, Jason, you'll be able to chime in as well. I'm curious whether this is an Australian thing or mm. I don't know what, but I always found, I really liked the switch to video this year. It was, it was you know, quicker and more, more dynamic and engaging. But the one thing that I really noticed and I enjoyed was not having the the faux applause for every little thing. It feels just a, that that clapping every little bit of announcement always just felt so cheesy. And forced. And just unnecessary. So, yeah. For, and, and I wonder if that is, is that my Australian sensibilities or is that, do, do other people interpret it that way too? Oh, look, I mean, I, I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, I, I think it's, we're just becoming more and more aware of the format or maybe another way to put it is seeing the matrix, seeing the illusion. So, you know, back in the time when it was Steve Jobs and it was really just him on stage with some, you know, people accompanying him, it really was like the grand leader walks out on stage and everyone's really enthusiastic and what's the story going to be this time? But obviously, you know, with his death and then more and more people coming out on stage, the entire flavour of the thing changes. And, you know, there is that whole thing of, you know, Apple apparently you know putting retail people in the audience to applaud and make it louder so i think yeah i think you're right it's sort of the australian sensibility or i mean we're a bit more sarcastic or maybe pessimistic stereotypically than americans typically are i mean jason maybe you could comment on whether you think that's true or not but um, i think that maybe rising levels of applause the fact that we've witnessed a shift in the way that the events work and we're seeing the shift in the way that they construct them and the number of people they bring out and their sort of pivot to try to have more diverse people on stage. We're just more, I think, aware of what we're actually seeing and how it's constructed than what, what it was in the past. Mm. I, I see it as a, a, corp, a corporate culture issue, personally. Um, sure. Having been in the large corporations in the past, 
you know, you go to an all hands meeting or whatever, and it's the exact same thing, right? Where there's a person going up there, they're going to say something. Everyone is obliged to clap whether they think it's great, think it's horrible, can't stand it. Uh, It's just part of the culture that is corporate. And I think this just kind of bled into that. So I I don't know if I see it as anything more than that. I, I, I do agree that it's not needed, much like doing demos live. If you don't have to, don't. Yeah. Because you can make that pacing just that much quicker. And I think the points just get get across that much better. Sorry to put you on the spot, Jason, and I am being a bit facetious here. But just given what you were saying about corporate culture in America, have you ever felt yourself clapping spontaneously on command? Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's a it's a crowd issue, right? Where somebody is going to be the first person that does it. Obviously, there has to be a first one, and immediately everyone just just jumps right on. It's like the um, it's like the wave at a, at a sporting game, right? Where somebody starts it and, and maybe it doesn't go anywhere, but eventually it, all of a sudden the entire stadium is doing this thing and, and kind of nobody really knows why, but it's kind of just because everyone else is doing it. And that's really what that feels like. I don't think there's any genuine you know, feeling or emotion behind it. It's just kind of a person said thing, okay, must clap. Okay, next. <laughs> and that and that's it. And, uh, sometimes that's not true obviously, you know, if there's I don't know, if you're doing some kind of appreciation thing or something, but even that feels forced most of the time in, in a corporate type world. It's never a spontaneous, "Oh, you know what? So and so did great. Let's give them something." It's it's always a it's been planned for weeks and we're going to say this person's name, everyone's going to clap, they're going to get their little award and and we'll move on. So I guess back to your thing about being sarcastic, I'm probably not representative of, of everyone, but I, I'm right there. <laughs> okay, with you. good. That's great. Martin, you work for a big Australian company. Is that, and I, I, look, I've got to admit, I've been in sort of the SME, the smaller medium enterprise sort of sector for quite a while now. So I'm, I've divorced myself from big corporations. Is that, what's it like in Australia, Australian big corporations these days? Are we, are we clapping and are we... Are we doing that sort of stuff? Oh, look, I mean, I think, you know, in Australia, um, like like in the US, you always have sort of stereotypes of things like, you know, groupthink or, you know, everyone getting on the bandwagon or I, I think what's the American phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid or something. But look, I, I don't really get that vibe too much um, where I work. I, I mean, you know, people cert- certainly believe in what they're there to do and, you know, maybe get carried away with ideas sometimes. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I do recall one time... Uh, you know, uh, I, I think working with some Americans on a particular project, and it was actually very refreshing about uh, how enthusiastic they were about stuff. It was it was a noticeable difference. <laughs> there was a lot of you know, oh, that's awesome. That's that's just that's just awesome. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is awesome. That that I can appreciate. <laughs> I, I I think that I, I don't want to make it sound like you know, no one should be happy about what they're doing because if you're not happy with what you're doing, then maybe don't try not to do it. But. Um, I think genuine enthusiasm is great. I think it's that forced from the top down where we need we need satisfaction amongst our employees and everyone must take a survey and, and we're going to get all fives this time. It's like, well, okay, great. You've told me that I have to put a five. <laughs> like That's not, that's not really, really a survey. That's not a survey, <laughs> um, but good try. We know how much Tim Cook likes his customer sat. What's the uh, what's the internal employee sat? Right, which is, that's a really tough thing, especially in Silicon Valley. And I think that's, that's a really warped view as well of corporate culture. And that's where I've been most of the time from a corporate standpoint would be in Silicon Valley. But it's it's a very tough thing for people to be able to actually 
speak out because I think it's just a weird job market in the, in the Valley where if you are not happy, it kind of in a being very broad here. So, you know, obviously this doesn't count for everyone, but there are, you know, 50 other developers willing to take your job for less money. So I think it's, it's really tough for a lot of culture in Silicon Valley to, to be positive. And I think we see it every day of just terrible stories coming out of different companies of treatment of people and and so forth. And I think I just took this to a way darker place than it was at previously. But um, in terms of the corporate culture thing, I think Silicon Valley has, has a long way to go in, in that regard. And just in terms of people being able to speak up about how they feel about wh- the way things are going. And, and to that, I, I was being a little facetious about the being forced to write a five, but I think a lot of people really feel like if they criticize where they work, they will be fired. And it's just, I, I, I'm not trying to fix that right now, but it's just something to to keep in mind when we're criticizing large companies that I, I think a lot, we try to simplify it down to they're doing a bad thing and they shouldn't do that. And there's just the nuance level is something so far above anything that anyone can understand that that recently there was that article of Tim Cook, you know, about his leadership style and so forth. And, and I'm sure there'll be a million think pieces about that. And that'll be great to skip in my RSS. When you're running a large corporation that's yes, based on profits, that's what companies are. You have to be a certain kind of person and you can't just not care about things or be nonchalant about whatever. You have to do things a certain way. And that's just the unfortunate reality we're in. You know, that's the world we live in. If we're going to have companies like this, these are the kinds of people that need to run them. So I, 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 again, I don't know if I'm really going anywhere with that, but I just, I think there's this criticism of, of a certain kind of person that people don't understand. And you can't understand, you can't understand that level in a corporation being even in that corporation at that level. Yeah. And when it comes to people who rise to the top of digital technology companies, and we're talking about the sort of companies that you're mentioning in Silicon Valley, not just Apple, but it could be Google, Facebook, Microsoft, whatever. They are much more than just digital technology companies. Now, they're essentially, well, they're media companies, they're lifestyle companies, they're moving into more and more facets of our life. And you do really have to be you know, aggressive to push that. And, you know, as a consumer, it's sort of, um, I mean, maybe we're circling back to that whole lock-in thing as well, but, you know, yeah, you can move between platforms, but so much of our lives are now tied into this stuff. So, I mean, w- w- what do you both think about that in terms of, I mean, because I know we sort of set some notes down here before, um, things like Facebook or other social networks, I mean, obviously run by controversial or very driven figures. Do you feel like that's something that's easy to leave? Or what do you think that sort of, what role does that play in people's lives now? I think there's a perception that it's difficult to leave is strong. The actual reality of being able to leave is actually not so bad, at least in my own experience. I ditched Facebook probably a year ago, maybe a bit more. And I Realize I I don't miss it. I, I do not miss that place one iota. And there was a time just a few months ago when for some reason I had to go to a Facebook page. I was linked to it or something. So I ended up on the site. I hadn't been there for ages. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to have a look. Just let me scroll through. And literally there was nothing there that was important. And you realize this is just all junk. And it used to be that 
in the early days of Facebook, people would actually write stuff. They would write their own thoughts or write what they'd done for the day or what have you. It was more like a mini blog or something. Now all anybody ever does is just share stuff. And so you end up with just this dreck, just, you know, pages and pages of just junky stuff that people share, bad jokes, memes, news articles that I don't care about, political perspectives that I don't want to see. It's just yuck, you know, and and, and I, you gain nothing from it. And by quitting it, you gain a lot of time back. From Facebook's point of view, easy to get rid of. Same with Instagram. I sort of I got rid of that um, and sort of didn't miss it. And then loaded it. I was like, you know, some friends put some photos, but nothing dramatic, quite freed from it all. In terms of lock-in, I think that that is where there actually is a lock-in from my perspective, I think. You know, when you when you leave Facebook or when you leave, let's say you left iOS, you can still message your friends. You know, you're you're a green bubble now, but you can still do it. But so with something like a Facebook, when you leave, you're gone. You can't interact with that world anymore. When you leave Twitter, you're gone. You can passively look at it, but you can't interact. And I think that's the kind of lock-in that's interesting because the thing that's locked in is your personal relationships, which is way stronger than any application or, or you know whatever you're using on a computer or a phone. So that kind of lock-in, I think, is scarier in the sense that you leave Facebook you can't just say, oh, by the way, why don't you guys just all jump over here on this other thing I'm on? No one's going to do that. It doesn't even work with messaging apps, right? Like you can't just say, oh, I'm not on Telegram anymore. Everybody should join whatever the new one is this week. No one's going to do that. People are very set in their ways and they want to stay with, you know, stay in their lane. In their lane. They just want to keep going with what they have. So I think that's part of the thing with Facebook is everybody's already there. To leave is quite a big challenge and especially to leave to go to something that's a paid service is like unheard of especially today where people don't want to pay for anything that's the lock-in that i think is a little scarier because then we start getting these just silos that never change and you never have people coming in and out and i think it's healthy for a network to have you know some churn have people coming in leaving coming back after they've gone and done something else which i've seen on micro.blog a lot where you know somebody will leave for whatever reason. And maybe they never come back. Maybe they do after they've looked at some other things. But I think having those different perspectives is good. And you mentioned Instagram. That's another big one, which, well, I guess I'll call it Facebook pictures because that's what it is. <laughs> Photos are arguably the most important thing that anyone does online now. And to have them all trapped in something like an Instagram. And I, I used Instagram years and years ago. And I remember trying to get all my photos out was a monumental pain. And when I initially got them out, they were lower resolution than what I had uploaded. So that was a problem. That's the kind of lock-in that I worry about. Whereas right now, I feel like I'm I'm just defending Apple left and right here. But it's like, call it generic company, you know, pair company. I have it in pair photos. I can just pull the photos out and put them somewhere else. I can put them in Google Photos. I can put them in Flickr. I can put them anywhere. And they're all don't don't call don't call them pear photos. You know, there's a oh god, yeah, I know. Uh, Banana photos, (laughs) or I'll pick it. Maybe I'll go like a tomato photos. I'll go with tomatoes. I don't think anybody's suing anybody for that right now. I love those, so yeah, stick with that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. So uh, the the lock in of of your your personal relationships, I guess, is just a it's a scary thing. And I, I don't when you have a company like that that, and I'll be the first to say I'm I'm very not in line with anything Facebook has to do 
I was talking with my wife the other day in terms we were just kicking around like, what other companies would we think about working for? And there, a lot of them came up. We're like, yeah, I could probably get in line with that. And Facebook was a hard no from both of us because we just cannot align with anything that they are pushing right now or ever, really. And we mm. don't feel that there's any position within that company that we could take to enact change, right? Because just because you don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't go there. If there's an opportunity for you to make change in that organization, I think that's that's a noble thing to do. You should go work at this company that everyone hates if you think you can make change. But I don't feel personally that I could go there and do anything to make a meaningful change to the way that organization is structured and the belief system that their company is based on. It would be like going to work for a tobacco company. You sort of, right, I'm accepting the fact that I'm killing people. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's actually, yeah, same sort of thing. that's a very, yeah, that's a good analogy, I think. And, and, you know, you look at it and you say, oh, well, they do all these great things. And I don't know, maybe I'm sure there's something they say they do is great from in terms of a tobacco company. But uh, I, at the end of the day, it's like, you, you're not going to go work at a tobacco company and get them to stop making cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. You're just not, right? So there's just, there's, you know, I, I think, you never give up, but that's just something that's fundamental to their business. So you're not going to change that. Martin, are you still on Facebook? Oh, am I still on Facebook? No, I actually, uh, I, I left. Um, I maintain a, you know how you can maintain a messenger presence, like a messenger profile? Yeah. Yeah. So I retain that because there are some uh, friends of mine who are on Android who, let's just say, are unwilling to sort of move to any sort of group messaging thing that would be anything like iMessage. So that's the one compromise. So I no longer have a profile there, but I maintain the chat function. So a little part of me died inside to have to continue using it. How does how does that work, Martin? I, I'm not familiar with the... So you have, you had like, you know, facebook.com slash Martin Feld, and then you had Messenger, which I'm assuming was the same. So now you just have like the same name, but it's only in messages. So what I actually did, I mean, I was sort of co- contemplating getting rid of Facebook for years. And then the whole Cambridge Analytica thing happened and I went, okay, this is now beyond a joke. And it's gotten worse since then, but you, you know, you get the idea. So I actually burnt the whole thing to the ground. I deleted the account, not just deactivated it, but then the messaging issue persisted. And sometime before I had deleted it, Facebook added the ability to have a separate sort of messenger profile. So I signed up again purely for the messenger option. So I don't have a sort of profile on the normal network that you could interact with. But if you were to search me, you would find me and be able to chat with me. Uh, Okay. So I'm assuming that's then if you'd still have a messenger profile, that's probably their easy way for you to get back to a Facebook account if you you want to. Okay. So that, that makes sense. They knew people were leaving, but they knew people loved messages. So yeah, it's, it's very, very clever. Okay. And I've got some friends that the same thing. I unfortunately have to use WhatsApp to keep in touch with some friends and family. And I made the the valiant effort of trying to get them to switch to, you know, was it Signal and Telegram and all those others. And yeah, I failed miserably. I forget now who owns who, but that that one's Facebook as well, right? Yeah, WhatsApp is Facebook. Yeah, it's it's that that's so confusing to. I don't know how people keep it straight. I mean, they've got Facebook Messenger, then they've got this other chat, and then I think there's even a third one potentially i'm assuming they all work together probably not but no yeah but this is where it really shows and i don't want to take us too far down the legal path of stuff like antitrust but this is where you see why a company like facebook would be targeted for it because there's really no reason for such a company to own all of these same same services it's just 
swallowing everyone up gradually over time. And I think, the, I mean, for me, the thing that was the first instance where I recall thinking, okay, things are getting a little bit sus or weird here. And this is ages ago. Do you remember when they made the shift in language and design from the timeline to the newsfeed? Yeah. 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 So it, it sort of shifted from being, oh, this is a thing that's chronological and it's about my friends and socialization and family, et cetera, et cetera, to being, oh, this is about delivering information based on interests. Of course, that was always sort of the idea, but it just became more explicit to me at that point. Don't forget ads. Yes, ads. Yes. <laughs> Horrible. And that's when the algorithm becomes the Borg and it consumes all. Oh, just just a, just a head on shoulders. Is that right? Just descends from the ceiling like the Borg. <laughs> well, I want to ask a question. We, we touched on it a bit earlier about um, betas, betas. Are you guys using Big Sur or iOS 4, 14 we're up to, isn't it? Is anybody on the beta train? Always and forever. Really? You're brave. Braver than I. <laughs> I'm recording our podcast on Big Sur. Don't worry. Wow. <laughs> no what? And how are you finding it? I think it's great. Uh, I love both of them, actually. I think uh, iOS 14 and Mac OS 11. Never going to get that right. Um, both. I think they're great. I, I think there's obviously issues, but again, they're betas. That's or betas. Betas. That's something that I think is interesting. We've had a lot of different ways to say things and a lot of different expressions where you will say them and I'll go, I'm going to assume I know what that means. Oh, you should have said uh, so. What, what was an example? I, <laughs> yeah. I now I'm curious. What did we say? I'm going to look back now. I'm going to have to listen back and then and message you. And what, what the heck did that mean? Um, but you've, you've covered it well. <laughs> but in terms of the, of the, the beta betas, they've, I think they're great. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I love this stuff. So of course I'm going to say they're, they're awesome, but I think the new Mac OS is, is gorgeous. I think some of the iconography still needs some work, but it's a beta. So they'll, they'll get there. Uh, they're both pretty solid too. Amazingly. I mean, betas in the last the betas previously used to really feel like alphas where you were really rolling the dice. You put it on your phone and maybe it would start up again. Maybe it wouldn't. We're not really sure. And you would actually want to use a different device. And and now the betas, they, and I, I have to imagine from a development standpoint, they know that people are putting these on their devices now. So they, they make sure that they pretty much work at this point. Yeah. So there really aren't a lot of, of issues. I mean, there have been in the past, but now we're on public betas. And I always tell people not to do it mostly because I don't want to support it, but I personally think they're great. Yeah, I think you're very brave. I agree with Andrew on that one. To, to answer your question, Andrew, I don't do it. And that's not because I'm totally against it. I think it's very cool. I look at things and I go, God, I'd like to try that out. Like seeing the new iconography, various new aspects of design, particularly for uh, Mac OS Big Sur. Very, very cool. But I think the thing, you know, as I sort of started to come around to doing it with, with public betas slash betas, um, the thing that sort of scared me off was hearing certain tech podcasters and writers talking about how it stuffed up some of their iCloud connected stuff for me mm. i mean i store a lot of my writing and things on icloud and even if it's probably very safe that's the one thing that makes me go oh if there's one bug and it wipes all this stuff that's synchronized to the cloud that's maybe it's unjustified but i feel a little bit worried by that don't say that now i'm that's sorry i'm gonna think about <laughs> <laughs> as i'm looking at my icloud folder to make sure files aren't disappearing Oh God! Okay, I, there is there is one negative though. Actually, I just thought about is it? It's kind of like Christmas early, where yeah, 
and now that, when it actually comes out and it's exciting, it's like, oh, I've been using that for three months. That was exactly the analogy I was about to say. You're, you're stealing my notes. I was about to say exactly that thing. You've got to wait for Christmas. You can't open your presents early. Look, you're in agreement. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it's me getting old as well. I'm a bit like a bit more risk averse. I don't want things to go wrong. And I think, ah, oh, I'll just wait till they, they say it's ready to wait till it's fully baked. And then I'll, 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 and then I say to myself, but I won't install it on day one. I'll wait and let people, you know, find the bugs and I'll install the point one. And I say that to myself every single year and it gets to about 12 hours in and I think, oh, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and then I install away. I have a similar progression of developer beta one is announced and I go, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to wait until day two, just in case. And generally it's about eight minutes and I've already got installed. <laughs> Doesn't take long. I wait patiently for my Christmas presents, but then when they arrive, when it's Christmas day, I'm, I'm there at 7am ripping open the paper. And, Give me my presents. <laughs> Can I shift tracks real quick to the hey email thing? I'm just dying to know what you guys are thinking about this. I'll go it's, for it. It's Ooh, been yeah. bothering me since it came out. And I just, the whole, we don't have to talk about the whole app store thing. I, I don't care about that. Um, but just in general, the email, sl- which is another thing, oh, nobody talks about email, but the way that this whole thing has progressed, where, you know, we had Slack, which solved all of our email problems, except didn't. And then we have Hey, which is supposed to solve all of our email problems. Not sure how that's going to happen. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Andrew, didn't he, did you? Was it you that wrote something about create like recreating Hey in like Fastmail or something? Yeah, that that blog post has been my most successful post of I'm sure all time. I've I've been blogging for many years under different guises, and some have occasionally gotten a bit of traction. But that article went bonkers. The only problem with it being hosted on microblog is that I don't actually have stats <laughs> to tell you exactly how bonkers it went. Four but billion people it... read it and interacted with it. <laughs> That's what I'll I heard. Tell you that. Yeah, yeah. It even got mentioned by Brett Terpstra, and when he linked to it, I thought, "Oh wow, this is like this is my Gruber moment, Martin." When you were linked, when you were mentioned by John Gruber, so yeah, I so I tried hey, tried hey out, gave it a, a red hot go forwarded all my email into it for the trial period and it just didn't didn't do it for me so i'd recently gone back i've been a fast mail customer for some time but i've recently been using sanebox again i i used it once before a couple of years ago and used it for the year and gave up on it but i thought now i'm going to try it again and probably i'm getting more email now as well but it's really paying off i've been happy with sanebox and it, it actually just seems to do what Hay purports to do in a better way. And I think where it suffers is just the marketing oomph. You know, Sanebox isn't really as well known, isn't, doesn't have that great marketing edge that the base camp More technical do. too, right? Where you actually have to go and set things up versus just sign up for an account. Yeah, it's not too, it's not too difficult. You kind of just have to give it your logins and it kind of auto, auto configures itself. Um, but it does look, it certainly looks more daunting, even if it perhaps it isn't that, that difficult. And, you know, and, it, it, and because it lives within your own existing email framework, 
I find it to be a better a better option. Yeah, so I wrote a, a post that talked about how I use a combination of fast mail, SaneBox, and um, my email app of choice, MailMate, to recreate the sort of the workflow of Hey. It was just a thought experiment of my own that I, I came up with and decided to share it. But I don't know. Hey, it's it looks nice. It looks snazzy, but it was just a lot of hand holding. I felt like I was having to yes no things, and then it would be like, well, I kind of want this one, but I don't always want emails from them. So do I yes them or do I know them? It was too binary, I would say. Different things work for different people. This one, I just didn't get it. It felt like it was making it more complex than what I was already doing. On top of the fact that now they, like, I'm never going to use whatever at hey.com. Why would I use that? Yep. It just doesn't make sense. You know, back to, (laughs) again, back to lock-in. Why would I ever want to be trapped at something, hey.com. You know, I, I would never want to be trapped at gmail.com either. But the the hey thing is it's brand new and you're gonna you're gonna stake your whole existence of is I mean email arguably is very important nowadays. It used to just be kind of a a fun little let's write some some letters, but you know, your identity is tied to your email in most cases. So having it be at something that is brand new and you have no idea how long it's going to last seems a little bit terrifying but again could be me but overall i just i didn't understand the the hype i think email in general is kind of overhyped on the internet amongst you know the crowds that we probably circle within mm-hmm. you know anytime there's a new email app or email anything it's like the the news of the week where we got to dive in and dissect everything that it does and at the end of the day it's still email so whatever but yeah the hey thing i don't know i was just curious cuz i i tried it as well I signed up at first. I was like, I don't need that. I was like, ah, oh, what the heck? I'm gonna, I, I, I should know about things before saying that you know it's not for me. I, I didn't try it, although I've obviously been following the news and the feature set and everything. But I think the point that you made there about email being one of the things that tech enthusiasts or just fans in general go for. It's just something that people like us want to twiddle with or to experiment with. For the vast majority of people, email is just the thing that they sign up for. It just receives all of their work correspondence or their marketing or e-newsletter material and that's it so i think naturally email could certainly improve but i think the vast majority of people even if they hate it don't really actively think about how it needs to be improved or overhauled so i could sort of see maybe current you know email providers or big companies maybe taking some design inspiration from hey if certain stuff works but i don't necessarily see it overhauling everything sort of like what you alluded to with yay slack's supposed to redesign everything but it didn't really yeah it's funny that in this you know the one thing people complain about the most is their email and yet and how much they hate it and it's just disdain for email yet it seems to be one of the most popular topics amongst tech people Mm. so i don't know how that really works but i think it's a it's a common denominator we can all relate to it so you you have an automatic audience for reading the stuff because yeah everybody has to deal with email so it, it has a wide a wide level range of interest i think maybe that's it yeah, we all depend on it. We all. Some people have certain rules and are obsessively, you know, filing into folders and marking things as junk and archive. And then some people just let the inbox number grow, uh, grow and grow and grow, and then you know, take a screenshot and tweet the badge on their icon. <laughs> so it takes all sorts. <laughs> okay, now I have to know. You have to reveal how many emails are in your inbox right now. How many are currently read slash unread, and what email? applications you use because everyone needs to know 
Andrew, do you want to go first? All right. You go first. Oh, I go first? Okay, right. So um, <laughs> I have two personal email accounts and a university account, all of which are in the Mail app, just the, the stock standard one for iOS, and that has 64 unread collectively. And for work, I use Outlook. Well, I can, I can tell you in my inbox at the moment, I have two emails. Both of them are read and I have a couple in my same box things, just a couple because I filtered it just earlier tonight. So yeah, two unreads there in my work oh, and that's with MailMate. So yeah, just two. Work, I do use um, Outlook for my sins and I have, oh look, I've got another one, one unread mail and I've got three unreads in my, three reds one unread in my inbox. So I like to keep it neat. Neither of you are monsters. I'm happy to hear this. Thank you so much. Why? You're using just uh, mail as well or what's happening? No, I'm I'm a weirdo. I use an app that has been um, deleted from the face of the earth several times and is now back again. Newton. Oh, right. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, I know, right? That's what most people say. They're like, oh, it's still a thing. I think so. Um <laughs> It got, it's been shut down, I think three times now, and now it's got new owners again, but I love it. But, uh, yeah, so Newton, I'll, I'll cross the board on everything. And I have four unread from this morning. We're all, and yeah, when you say this morning, it is literally just, you're, you're still in your morning. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's fair play. (laughs) It's a new day for me. I've just entered morning myself. So hello, Jason from somewhere in the future. God, we got to fix this time zone thing. Like, <laughs> somehow, how have we not fixed this yet? I know. What time do you have to get up for in the morning, Martin? Oh, I'm a free spirit. You know, I'll just, uh, no, <laughs> I'll decide. It's like, I'm working from home, but uh, no, normally normally start at eight, but that that's cool. You'll just have a couple Australian coffees and you'll be good. Oh, it's going to be great. And look, I mean, Australia has the highest uh, rate of consumption of instant coffee in the world, which is a bit disturbing. I won't be drinking it. But if you watch all of our ads, that it's apparently what Australians do. They drink uh, out of red Nescafe cups. Do you see that really? on the West Coast, Andrew? Yeah, but it's disgusting. You don't actually do that. Yeah, it's like we have great coffee. Like the little, you put like the you put the crystals in the thing and you just kind of stir it up and that's, that's coffee? Well, they like to. That's what they advertise to us. <laughs> That's what they advertise. That's right. Apparently, it's really high because everyone just buys it and sticks it in the cupboard just in case you run out of something. Like I, I'll have like a flat white, you know, espresso every day. I'm sure you're the same, Andrew. Like, what, what do you have? Yeah, it's yeah. If I can, I'll go to my local coffee shop generally most days and get a flat white. Which, oh, Jason, how do we explain a flat white? Oh Americans no! Which, so when coffee. Martin was here, uh, <laughs> he. He chastised our coffee the whole time he was here. Oh God! And it was just—it was—it was sad. It is terrible. He just, he just had nothing good to say about our coffee. There is nothing good to say about your coffee. I don't oh recall God, such negativity, but sure, I'll take the. I feel drama. like I'm being personally attacked here, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, look, if Americans think Starbucks is good no, coffee, no, 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 no. <laughs> Hold on, don't no, not Starbucks. I'm not, I will not, I will not. uh... So yeah, flat white from a a coffee shop in the morning is the ultimate. It, um, so it's a shot of coffee from a, from an espresso style shot topped up with not foam milk, but it's a, the milk is heated. So it becomes velvety would be the way I would describe it. That's a great description. It's very smooth. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's, you don't add water to it at all. It's just 
well, the water that's in the short shot of coffee and then milk. And that is a, um, a staple of the Australian coffee diet. This is randomly off, well, sort of on topic, but I have noticed as I've traveled around to different places in the world, how much different drink culture is in different places where like in America, it, you almost everyone is walking around with something. Uh-huh. You know, it's either a bottle of water or a, a gigantic coffee that's way too big or some soda or something. The big gulp. Yeah, exactly. Americans always have a big right, gulp. Right, exactly. That is what we do. We <laughs> all have big gulps and with our name on them and we just walk around with them. But then I went, you know, you go to somewhere like Japan and if you're walking around with with a drink in the middle of Tokyo, people are kind of looking at you like, what the hell are you doing? Like to consume that and get rid of it. Yeah, sit down so and is, drink it and move on. Yeah, yeah. It's It sounds like, is that kind of similar where you guys are or is it kind of all over the board? Uh, what you've described about really, you know, trudging around carrying a drink. I, I saw that a lot when I used to work in Sydney. And it's actually something when I saw, uh, when Jerry Seinfeld came over, I, we, Natasha and I saw him live and it was great. And he made a big deal about how Australians in Sydney were just just charging through the streets, you know, take no prisoners, holding their flat whites really firmly in their hand. But I feel you don't get that sort of marching aggression in more regional areas like where I live. You know, people will actually go out to a cafe, sit down, calmly drink it, and then move on with their lives. That makes sense. You're just more civilized. I get it. Uh, yeah, in the regional areas. What about you, Andrew? You're you're a, you're a sitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't. I try to avoid the the CBD these days. Um, but yeah, people will generally walk around with a coffee or a bottle of water. Um, we're a hot city as well in the summertime, so often you'll see people carrying some water around. Yeah, but I don't think it's. We you generally don't see people walking around with with what, soft drinks or sodas. No, no. You, you would. Call them nah, it's not a done thing. Really, that's that's for kids to drink, not really for the grown ups. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Although, I, just to take the heat off the US for a bit, I recall uh, when I was in Germany traveling with family, I saw that they actually had introduced the flat white to Starbucks, and we were really fascinated. And we thought, oh, we've got to go and try like the Starbucks take on a flat white in Germany. Let's go see. So we went up and ordered, and uh, we said. And, you know, I couldn't help myself but make a comment at the counter. And I said, oh, you know, it's really interesting that you've, you know, brought in the flat white at Starbucks. And I didn't say any more than that. And, and the person behind the counter, the German person said, yes, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. We've introduced the flat white. And you'll notice, actually, that the reason that it's called a flat white, if you look at the picture, it's because the shape of the cup is actually flatter. It's more stout. And I just sat, I just sort of stood there in disbelief thinking it has nothing to do with the shape of the cup. And I sort of was tormented in my brain as to whether I should be smug and say, well, I'm Australian and you're wrong, but I let it go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was a, you test. took the high road. That was a test for humanity for you and you passed. Thank you. Thank you. I managed to hold it together and push beyond and just accept that a German flat white is actually literally physically flatter than an Australian version. <laughs> very precise. Oh, very precise, very flat, very, uh, very circular, very precise. So, look, I mean, I think, uh, um, was there anything else that you two wanted to cover out of our topics? I, I think coffee's a nice way to maybe end it, <laughs> an addiction for all of us. It's actually perfect because I just ran out and I need to get more. So, I think that's a great place to wrap. Yeah, I, I think so. Perfect. So, I mean, given that we always uh, are ruminating on this podcast, is there anything that you'd like to maybe take back from what we have been discussing and leave a certain thought with the audience? Something for them to consider i would like to i i will ruminate on the fact that look at your 
social networks, decide whether you're getting value out of them, and think about whether a conversation with somebody might be a better option than just liking it or thumbs up. Because I have enjoyed this conversation with two of my internet friends absolutely wholeheartedly. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it too. And uh, what about you, Jason? I think for me, I I would love for when you're when you're looking at things online, when you're looking at things around, well, maybe not so much around the world right now, but in terms of criticizing what, you know, we kind of jokingly, I think for the most part, you know, said a lot of things about Windows and what other people are using. But at the end of the day, I think try to think long and hard before you criticize what someone else is doing, especially if it has no impact on you whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to just get through everything that's happening. So, you know, I think lighthearted joking about, oh, use Android and I use iOS, whatever, it's fine. They're all tools to get something accomplished. So I I just, I see so much in the news about, you know, this company did that, this company did that, they, they did this. Try to, try to think outside of your own perspective on why the way things are the way they are. Because I think a lot of times you'll find that you don't have all the information for the opinion that you're forming. And I'm not saying I'm any kind of saint in this regard either. I say dumb things all the time that aren't true or or just I don't have all the information. So I, I need to do a better job of that as well. But think about things before you criticize uh, because it may mean a lot more to the other person than it does to you. That's a great point. Both great points uh, from both of you. And look, I've really enjoyed this and I suppose that we have uh, micro.blog and the, and the team there for sort of bringing us together. This has been a wonderful sort of audio experiment. I've really enjoyed it uh, having you both to chat to. Um, where can people find you online to to follow or chat if they're interested, both of you? I am on micro.blog as at Canyon. So you can just go to um, micro.blog slash Canyon. It's probably the easiest way for people to do that. Or you can find my website, andrewcanyon.com. Yeah, for me, just part of the website's the best. It goes everywhere. Uh, Burke.io, B-U-R-K, no E. Fantastic. Well, thank you both. It's been really great. And uh, as usual, at the end of Lounge Ruminator, I encourage you, dear listener, if you have any feedback, want to get in touch, make sure to visit the site loungeruminator.net. You can follow me at Twitter or micro.blog at Martin Feld. I've really enjoyed the episode today. Hope you have too. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>